Among the, fo- among the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16 stands out as one of them. On anyone's list, probably everyone in this room and at home, on anyone's list of Bible verses that you memorized as maybe a child or a young adult, this has got to be one of them. I first learned John 3.16 in the King James Version, and it went something like this. You might be able to recite it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sounds familiar? If you ever went to church camp or VBS or Sunday school or really just hung out near or in a church building at any point in your life, you probably have that memorized. It's one of those verses that's actually so popular that not even Bible translators attempt to change it much. So while so many different Bible translations differ widely on so many passages of Scripture, this one remains almost the same in every Bible translation. The New International Version, the New Revised Standard Version, the New American Standard, the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, those are probably the most popular ones in uh, the United States. All of those translations um, are almost verbatim for John 3.16. And in fact, they all start this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The benefit of maintaining that popular form of that popular verse is so that we can all recite it together, right? It's like a memorized liturgy, like the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed. But the downside is that we have a really tough time understanding the verse in context. It's just its, just its own verse, right? But you see, no verse in our scriptures is a standalone verse. None. And John 3.16 comes in a particular context, in a p- particular conversation that Jesus is having with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He's a very respected teacher of the law. Nicodemus is, as well as Jesus is becoming. And I had never considered up until maybe a few years ago to ask, why does the verse of John 3.16 start with the word for? For God so loved the world. Because I learned in seminary that the word we have come to translate as for is the Greek word gar. Gar. And that word is intended to draw our attention to something that came right before it. It's, it's, a, it's a transition word. It's a connecting word, kind of like and or therefore. So when we look at the word, when we look at the verse, for God so loved the world, we ought to be thinking, why the for? And looking to the verses before John 3.16, it's very, very interesting. We read that Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to more accurately understand his mission and his ministry. And Jesus had just sort of slipped into a very strange reference to an even stranger story about Moses and the Hebrew people in the wilderness. In the book of Numbers chapter 21, we find the Hebrew people in the middle, toward the end actually, of their journey in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. 
It's a, it's a less familiar story within a very familiar story of God's liberation of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. The people are absolutely worn out. Even though God has, to that point in the journey, provided safety and sustenance and deliverance from natural and political enemies, the Hebrew people are growing weary and impatient. I almost hear my kids in the back of the of long car rides. Are we there yet? Nope. Are we there yet? Still no. But the people in the book of Numbers take it a step further. The text says that they begin complaining, speaking badly about Moses and God, wishing that they had never been liberated from Egypt at all. They preferred the chains of slavery to the unpredictability and the instability of the wilderness journey. To be more accurate, though, they are sick of walking. They are tired of bad food. They are sick of not belonging anywhere. They are tired of not being able to bury their loved ones properly. They are sick and tired of being powerless. And God responds pretty harshly in Numbers chapter 21, sending poisonous snakes to their camps, which bite many people and some even die. When the people cry out afterwards, repenting of their sins and repenting from distrusting and disowning God, God told Moses to create a bronze statue of a snake and mount it to a pole. I see some of your faces like, what? Really? Any of the Hebrew people who were bit by by a snake would only need to look up at the bronze snake and they would be healed from their venomous snake bites. Has anyone seen uh, the, the two snake on a pole symbol of the medical symbol? Sort of the, the hospital symbol? Some believe that this is where it comes from. And that story is the story that Jesus references right before the famous verse, for God so loved the world. Seriously. So a more accurate translation of John 3.16 in this context would be something like this. God loved the world in the same way that God loved the Hebrew people when they complained and got bitten by poisonous snakes in the wilderness, that God gave his only son to be raised up on a pole like a bronze snake, so that, just like the Hebrew people were cured when they looked at the bronze snake, whoever looks to God's son shall not perish but have everlasting life. To be fair, that's a lot harder to memorize, though. (laughs) Right? But this context is so important to us, and it's so important to me today. And it fits so marvelously into the gospel of John's larger message. The author of the book of John is trying to help us understand that Jesus is God's word of life. For John, God is replaying the creation narrative of the world, sending Jesus as the new word that says, let there be light bringing order to overcome chaos and hope to overcome despair and love to overcome hatred and peace to overcome violence. For John, Jesus is this word 
becoming flesh and living and breathing with us. So that's why it makes total sense why in, God, why in John's gospel we hear Jesus saying to another teacher of the law familiar with this story, my ministry is basically like the bronze snake that Moses made. God is choosing to love the world by raising me up for all to see. And by doing so, God is exposing the source of the world's pain, violence, greed, and systems of oppression. Once those things are fully exposed, then and only then can the world be called away from their sin. And then and only then can healing happen once and for all. Jesus tells Nicodemus, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the reality of this situation. By making this reference, he, he's explaining to Nicodemus that there are people who actually prefer to live in darkness and they benefit from the shadows. And they actually hate the light for its power to expose. But he ends the conversation with Nicodemus with an invitational tone. Those who do what is true come to the light so that they may be clearly seen and that their deeds might be recognized as having been done by God. Friends, I used to think that John 3.16 was about God sending Jesus into the world to die on a cross for our sins and that that event became a great reckoning to everyone where everyone's now issued some sort of a, a test, a yes or no, simple test. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes or no? And on that question hangs your eternal salvation. If you don't believe in Jesus, you perish. If you do, you receive eternal life. I do not believe that that is what this verse is about at all. Seen in the passage, seen in the context of Numbers chapter 21, I read John 3.16 this way. All of humanity is suffering from poisonous snake bites. For some, the suffering is prevalent and visible. For others, the venom is slow and steady. Like the Hebrew people, some of us are suffering because of the rebellion or the cruelty of other people. But some of us are suffering because we have said things and done things or left things undone that are the cause of our suffering. In all cases, the only way to address a snake bite is to address the snake bite. We cannot pretend it's not there. We need to see it clearly and we need to take specific steps to heal. As, as humbling or as painful as that feels, we cannot ignore our way to healing. And just as Jesus continued, I'm sorry, just as God continued to love the wayward group of liberated Hebrew slaves, God continues to love the world through providing a path toward healing and a light to guide our way. Friends, John 3.16 hit me in a new way this week, and even this morning, because it's been almost exactly a year since the pandemic has rocked our country, our state, and our community here. 
our world has been bitten by a particularly venomous snake. There are so many people we have known and loved who are no longer with us, and we didn't even get to mourn them properly. Like the weary Hebrew travelers in the wilderness, we are sick and tired. And while I, actually, I absolutely reject the idea of God intentionally plaguing our world with this disease, this prolonged journey, the pain of, and discomfort of our new reality itself has illuminated some very deep sins and brokenness in our world. As a result of this pandemic, we are more aware of the brokenness of economic disparity and especially how that falls along racial lines. We, know, we now know more keenly the desperate need for socialist-oriented policies that radically redistribute resources, money, health care, property, to those who will otherwise die from lacking basic resources. We know this now. It's not a theory. We know now how incredibly brutal and dehumanizing our criminal justice system is. What, when even while deaths were soaring from people being warehoused in close proximity during a pandemic, politicians and administrators would rather change nothing than see prisoners as human beings trying to survive and people worthy of our utmost respect. We know now how essential some of our lowest paid members of our community are. We know now how much we rely on technology, but also how unhealthy we feel when constantly plugged into it. We know how rugged individualism is also killing us through isolation. Me first attitudes are endangering community health and the only solution is collective action to defend the most vulnerable. We know this now. We know how unsafe social media is to our mental health. We know now how hard it is to raise children in a society that requires you to work harder and parent better and complain less, all while schools and childcare remain in limbo. We now know how important family is. Friends, the light of this moment is blinding and the exposure is painful and the pain itself is even exposing deeper problems. And the problems are so deep and so seemingly inescapable that it's tempting to surrender to the despair. The world is hopelessly broken. But here's the good news. God loves the world. God loves the world a lot. God loves the world so much that God chose to send Jesus as a bright light, exposing everything, exposing our pain, exposing our need, exposing our violence and our apathy, exposing our systems of injustice over and over again. And so we are asked to respond. Will we forge forward, following the light of Christ, accepting our vulnerability and repenting of our complicity? Will we surrender to the care of God's community in Christ, which is designed to be agents of comfort and healing and support 
Will we continue to learn and heal and engage those who suffer? Will we continue to spend our time and resources advancing the light of Christ into the shadowy halls of power where compromise with evil seems to be the acceptable way forward? Maybe we're not yet in a place where we can commit to that full picture, and that's okay. But let's just continue following Jesus together, the Savior for our snake bites, one step at a time on his mission to bring everlasting life to the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.